why won't my sound be on for the Windsor Ottawa game? If I had to guess, I would suspect it would be because uh, the Laurier Golden Hawks have graciously asked me to come back and help do color commentary for the playoff game between Laurier and Carlton. Dang freaking right they did. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Tom are on the mics. It's back to just the deuce and we are setting up the quarterfinal action in the OUA playoff race to the Yates Cup. Tom, how's it feel being back uh, just a mono mono It was so nice having the full group chat, the full the full strength of At The 55 all on the mics. Uh, what was that experience like? How are you feeling now? Back to just uh, you and me. No, it was great. Having Nate and Dakota back on the pod and being able to talk to everybody, just talk shop is is always a ton of fun. Uh, obviously, those guys are are fantastic to work with, but it's it's nice to have the two old linemen back together again. Yeah, no, and you know what? I, I put together sort of the agenda for that one, and you would sort of late in the fold made a point of saying, you know, we haven't really talked linemen here. Um, and I know we sometimes catch flack for not really shouting out the Hoggies as much. It's, you know, it would... It, it's it's tough this the access we have to teams because obviously if anyone knows the O line you really want to have those tight cuts to really judge what's going on in the trenches when we just get to watch what is broadcasted on OUA TV the best we can really do is say like oh clearly certain O line groups are rather dominant than others to be able to see the actual individual work um, but maybe that's some off season content you and I can dive into of doing some kind of like whatever I, we, I don't even want to take too much time to, to think about it now uh, but i'm sure we can cook something up don't ever think that we don't love the offensive line um this started with two offensive linemen with me and eddie we got me and tom going um and, if, and nate's a quarterback so if he doesn't love o-lineman he's he's not a true quarterback at any point in his life but nonetheless we are here to set up the quarterfinal action um of course what makes this week of um oua playoffs different from any other first week in the playoffs is that we have three games. What makes it the same as all other first weeks of playoff action in the OUA is, of course, they're all at one o'clock. Um, but, you know, I, I I really should stop complaining about it because clearly uh, that has, you know, whatever power I may yield in this position is clearly uh, far from having any sway on this. Um, Tom, before we get into sort of the specifics of the games of course only three games uh it'll go by pretty quickly we have two rematches from the first week any sort of big picture thoughts obviously we covered uh expressed a number of our thoughts about the season as a whole and kind of touched on all these teams in some capacity but just sort of before we dive into the specifics any opening thoughts or comments and i know you have some some news about one of these games that i don't know if we'll you'll save it for when we get to it or if you want to start right now but just big picture before we get into the minutia of it all yeah something that uh, i wanted to ask you because i find that uh mr bader shamai is always the one who is hosting everything and you kind of assumed that role when the, all of us were together here and i love to hear your takes on everything so i want to ask you a question here okay uh <laughs> Going into this game, obviously, we've got Windsor playing against Ottawa in Ottawa, Carlton against Laurier in Waterloo, and then Toronto against Queens in Kingston. In your opinion, 
Who do you think has the strongest home field advantage from those three teams? Oh, I, I mean, the, the answer is, is is already in the cards, and it's not even because of a rematch from these teams. It's because we've already talked so much about Windsor going to play Carlton at one o'clock, and you know, and ironically, I, and and you know, so th- that's the obvious thing. Windsor having to go all the way across the province to play Ottawa at one o'clock. I don't know what their travel schedule is, and I'm not gonna, you know, I feel like I've been somewhat disrespectful to the Carlton Ravens this year, though I think. A lot of that comes from being like, hey, you know what, kind of similar to Mac, on paper, you look pretty good in a lot of areas that haven't been overly consistent. And so I don't want to take away from their pretty dominant win against Windsor at home and saying it was completely a schedule uh, win for them and a schedule loss for Windsor. But that jumps right off the page. I will as well kind of say, you know, because the Queen's piece, kind of stepping on that breakdown, I'm sorry, UFT. I feel like that is the most obvious of these games to pick, which it should be because it is the highest seed in this round of playoffs versus the lowest seed. And just the, the play in the trenches that you were so uh, expressive in, in, in just bringing up for Queens is second only to Western. So as much as Richardson uh, Stadium is a home field advantage, it's I don't think that's really going to matter all that much. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Laurie is a tough place to play, but that is a game that I'm interested to get into to see what Carlton can bring. But anyways, I'm stepping on the specifics as far as the sort of home field advantage piece. It's got to be Ottawa hosting Windsor across the province. Ottawa coming off an embarrassing loss at home. Yes to the top team in the country. Yes to the reigning Vanier Cup champs and the Vanier Cup favorites. I think if you ask most people, but they their starting QB went down in the first quarter and you couldn't do a thing to slow them down nor to get your offense going really. So I think they're coming into this game with a lot of people looking at this game as perhaps upset alert. So I think we're getting a really ticked off GG team at home. Winds are traveling a big distance to get there. I feel like I've said so much about it that at this point, we just need to jump into our first game of the week. It's Windsor at Ottawa, one o'clock start. This is, of course, a rematch from, oh, let's scroll through super quickly. Oh, wow. I'm. This, this is slightly weird to think that this is a rematch from August 27th. That's just... A lot's happened in those, <laughs> in those mm-hmm. two months. We are literally recording... Uh, you'll be hearing this a day after October 27th on October 28th. By the way, happy 79th birthday to my father. Um, I know he's listening to this and I'll be seeing him on this weekend. Um, two months ago, we had this rematch. That is, I mean, all sorts of feelings about that. But of course, this was a re, uh, an opening game that was in that first slate, perhaps the most entertaining coming down to the wire, Ottawa driving to set up a game-winning field goal. It's at Windsor. And I think that was... I don't know if... I don't know looking back what we can really pull from that game other than the fact that both these teams clearly are, are very good. I think Ottawa is a... You know, if we want to talk in terms of tiers, perhaps in a in a, a tier higher than Windsor, I think that is is true. Once we've seen kind of how the chips have fallen, but that Windsor kind of stating off the jump, you know, we talk about their home field advantage, but they came to play this year, and 
though some games that didn't reflect um, as much as we would have thought it did based on just who they showed themselves to be. Um, this is a Windsor team that's moving in the right direction that it had uh, this uh, incredible year. And it's an Ottawa team that showed throughout the year that, and sort of by example in this one, that when they are the more dominant team by, you know, against a Guelph or against the Ottawa, they can really put it to you. But they can also take uh, they, they can also take care of business in tight games. You know, they start off the season, the field goal victory on the drive to win it. Then, of course, the Mac game where they pretty much dominate the first half. Mac crawls back in, but they get the job done. Absolutely. And then, of course, the game against Laurier, a super tight battle as well, a really gritty defensive game through the first half. And it's really in the second half where, once again, they kind of prevail in that one, so uh, an Ottawa team that, like I said, I think by most metrics, I mean, we look at this Windsor team and where is their strength? Of course, it's in Joey Zorn, who may be and will likely be. We did the gimmick of if not Joey Zorn, who as rookie of the year. I mean, and that's phenomenal. He's a great running back, but he's going up against a guy that is in the conversation for the most valuable player in J.P. Simonkinda. And then all the other things that makes Ottawa great. Um let me pass this one over to you because I feel like segueing off of your question for me, uh, obviously I've said a lot in the last God knows however minutes I've been blabbering on for. Windsor at Ottawa, rematch from two months ago, Tom. But of course, we are flipping from the west to the east in the nation's capital. And, and sorry, one last quick point I'll say. I did see on social media that this game is being played at the University of Ottawa as opposed to uh, the name escapes me, of course, but where the Red Blacks play, um, which yeah, may, uh, off the top of my head, that's not factoring in necessarily in any way, but an interesting sort of caveat. Tom? Your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, well, you mentioned about, you know, two months ago we saw this matchup happen. Obviously, it was in Windsor rather than being in Ottawa here. But just looking at the the stats and kind of going through everything again, the differences that have happened in those times there. You know, Carter Zinger was the starting quarterback for these Windsor wow. Lancers to start off with. Ben Miracle goes down with an injury. Matt Mahler has to step in and try to, uh, to solve some things. That's so right. it was really the battle of the running backs it was a coming out party for Joey Zorn finishing with 111 yards and a touchdown. But you look at Carter Zinger, he throws two interceptions and both of them were pretty substantial. If I remember the game correctly, obviously Mahler with an interception of his, uh, of his own, but <clears throat> certainly two teams that were, <coughs> excuse me, uh, finding themselves, seeing where things were going to, land within the OUA and Ottawa going on that great run and establishing themselves as a uh, top three powerhouse at the end of the regular season. But this Windsor Lancer team has certainly discovered itself throughout the season as well. Sure. They finished off four and four, but Joey Zorn, like we've been saying is kind of our runaway pick pun intended for uh, OUA rookie of the year. He's just, really exploded onto the scene and and affected this Windsor off, offense in a really positive way. And Danny Skelton has really started to show some signs of some, you know, some greatness in terms of consistency at quarterback. You know, once again, the last game of the season, Windsor played against Waterloo. Waterloo is not a benchmark to measure an offense by any means, but – Danny Skelton finishes 16 for 29, 240 yards and a touchdown. 
It's pretty good. Joey Zorn, nine, nine attempts for 76 yards. Christopher John, 12 attempts for 71 yards. Now establishing something of a two-headed monster in Windsor with Christopher John being, you know, sharing some of the carries and things like that as well. Not only does that give you a difference in, in running back, but it allows Joey Zorn not to be run down by the end of the fourth quarter. And with a healthy and somewhat rested Joey Zorn pounding the rock at you in the fourth quarter, that's a scary sight. But then you look over on the GG side of things and yeah, they got a lot better since that first game. Ben Miracle seems to really be coming into his own JPC McKinda, our pick for the OUA MVP this year, these GGs are six and two, and there's a reason that they're six and two. So this is going to be, it has the makings to be another close game, but it could also go one-sided really quickly. Yeah. It, I mean, and I think if it does go one-sided, it's the, I think the only blowout possibility would be in Ottawa's favor. My question is, and just, I don't know if there's really any validity in this line of thought, but just sort of basing off of you know games that we've seen there's sort of the McMaster Laurier recipe where no that's not quite I guess it but I guess the McMaster example where Ottawa kind of takes advantage in the first half and then the team crawls back in or then the Laurier example where they're duking it out in the first half and then Ottawa pulls away and when you have such an effective running game like that it's the you know the 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 cliche we always use about Western of just and Queens that too where hey, even if you hang in with them I think I've already done the Teddy KGB from Rounders hanging around hanging around the kids got alligator blood that eventually they're just gonna tire you out and of course we could perhaps make the same case for Windsor the only difference though is that once again thinking about you know whether Ottawa as a whole is a sort of tier above defensively that Ottawa defense is certainly of a another sort of strata than than where Windsor's defense is um and I just I can't get past that it, let me make this I made a point earlier let me I'm going to quickly veer off that point but I'm coming right back uh I actually spoke to an OUA coach um this week and in talking about who their possible upset would be. And ultimately, they were going with the home picks. But I was like, well, where would you see the upset this week? And they're like, the Windsor-Ottawa game. And I'm like, don't you talk about my GGs like that. And in having this conversation, I made the statement, which I'll make right now, that the Ottawa GGs, I think, no, this is my, yeah, this is, in my opinion, have the best skill position group in the OUA. I've been saying that about the receiver group, the best receiving group, absolutely. And of course, what Western does with their running backs is phenomenal. A lot of that credit has to be given to the offensive line. And that's not to be take, taking anything away from Keon Edwards and Edward Winati. And we talk about the slew of running backs that Queens has. Um, and of course, um, some of the very super talented receivers they have as well. But to me, this queen, this uh, pardon me, this Ottawa GG team has has the best. When we look at receivers, running backs combined, the most talent in the OUA, and one of those players very well might be the MVP, Ben Miracle, who is a possible candidate um, for most improved um, at the helm, coming off of that Western game, uh, the beatdown at home, um, of T 
TD Place. That's the name that was escaping me. Um, I, I, I get it because Windsor is this kind of, you know, we're just on the back of Joey Zorn and, you know, brought him up in our, our recap pod of the whole season. Christopher John also, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but, you know, a very good year for himself as well. A really nice back to be able to spell Zorn with. Um, maybe they hang tight in the first half. Maybe a player or two makes it close in the second half. I, I don't see an outcome. I, I really, I don't see Ottawa dropping this at home. It's For me, it's the GGs. Yeah, I think uh, these Ottawa GGs are very difficult to beat at home. Uh, something about, you know, we've been talking about the mystique of Windsor all this year, but there's something about playing in Ottawa where, you know, the closest team op- other than obviously the Carlton Ravens are Queens, and that's still a two-hour drive. Now you do a complete opposite end of the freaking province, and that drive I don't care who you are, that means something. That affects you in some way. You're a little bit groggier. You don't have your same routine on. If Windsor, the travel plans, I don't, you know, obviously we're not privy to or anything like that, but I would imagine that they're probably traveling up on Thursday so that they can get there on Friday and do something of a walkthrough kind of type instead and get acclimated to you know, the drive itself and not just come right off the bus and go and play. They could go on that Friday and just use that as an entire travel day and then just deal with it, whatever. But regardless, they're losing at least one full day of practice unless they do a, like a night practice or as soon as they get off the bus or something like that. That's a huge disadvantage. You know, one less day of preparation in a playoff scenario against a very good Ottawa GGs team is definitely something to account for. You know, I think this game, I believe, is going to be closer than what people think, not necessarily because of, you know, Ottawa not performing. I think Windsor is really going to come to play. I think JP Cercelli is going to have a couple of tricks up his sleeve. You know, it's do or die time, trying some things out, whatever the case. Uh, Joey Zorn. It's going to be a big focal point. If he can get going, you know, they have a chance. But uh, I think at the end of the day, the excellence of the GGs, like you said, pulls away and Ottawa takes this one at home. One last thing I will mention, just because I was going through some of the rushing stats as you were just talking there, Tom. And what's really fascinating, of course, um, you know, I can pull up the team stats for rushing yards as well. But just looking at the combined efforts of on the Ottawa side of things, J.P. Simmonkinda, and then, uh, of course, Almacar Polk, and then for the Windsor side of things, and Joey Zorn and Christopher John, when you average it both out, the combined efforts of those running backs for each squad is around 150 yards per game. I think still with a slight advantage to the Simmonkinda-Polk combo, but it, it's still pretty solid um, across the board. But once again, that's where I'm like... But then there's just so many more weapons for the GGs. You just so brilliantly highlight all the issues that come with this type of travel for Windsor. So, um, I, hey, I, I what, like I said, I, I, I won't, I don't, I don't see a possibility either, uh, or pardon me, I, I don't see an outcome either. Then Ottawa really just sticks it to them um, from from the gun, or maybe it stays close to half and then they pull away, or it's a tight game through. I don't see a Windsor blow up, but most of the scenarios I envision a very competitive football game um, for at least a good half and change in this one and maybe more. And obviously 
we have a game, a sample size of, 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 of these teams of being one of the more entertaining games we've seen all year. So maybe I'm just overthinking and being, what are you talking about, bub? We've seen this matchup. It was pretty darn entertaining. Anyhow, um, very excited for this one. Um, it'll, of course, be on my TV screen, but it will not have the sound on because our next matchup is the Carlton Ravens traveling to Kitchener-Waterloo to take on the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks. Tom, why won't my sound be on for the Windsor-Ottawa game? If I had to guess, I would suspect it would be because uh, the Laurier Golden Hawks have graciously asked me to come back and help do color commentary for the playoff game between Laurier and Carlton. Dang freaking right they did i am clipping that to start the episode i don't care that it's gonna i guess screw the whole <laughs> setup but we need to have that off the jump in case people skip through at any point tom sterling you beautiful bastard you two weeks in a row will for lawyer golden hawks doing the color commentating now you're not with jack moore this week though of course you're gonna be with adam mcguire correct that is amazing. Correct. Well, then, like we did when we had the Queens Laurier game, I'm sure um, you've been diving into your analysis of this game more than you normally would, though, as you normally do. It is exceptional, but given the particular nature of your uh, 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 your proximity to this game, let me start off with your thoughts on this matchup. This is the one matchup of the three. That is a a new matchup for this year. Of course, we didn't see these two face off um, in the regular season. What has your film dissection, stat crawling, and perhaps conversation with coaches and whomever um, illuminated to you about this matchup? The first thing that I want to bring up is how appreciative I am of the Laurier staff and inviting me back and everything else. But the atmosphere for me specifically being there was outstanding multiple people had recognized me from the at the 55 podcast which was the coolest thing in the entire world the fact that you and i are just talking here and there's actually people on the other end of this listening to us is just the the best thing in the world i love it and both from the laurier side and from the queen side that recognized and shouted us out and everything so it was outstanding Going to Laurier is always a great atmosphere. I'm very much excited to go back to that. The thing that I'm most looking forward to, or the thing that I'm really uh, going to be paying a lot of attention to, is something like what we talked about before, where it's very difficult to see it when you're watching the game from the TV standpoint, rather than actually being there on the field. And that's the play of this offensive line for Laurier. There was a lot of times where I saw certain things where, Taylor Elgersma is dropping back in the pocket and it looks like it's going to be a three to five step drop, which typically means that he's going to take a little bit longer to see what's happening. And you see all linemen who are cutting defensive ends. And that's a really effective move if it's a quick drop and, and throw. But with these longer passes, especially those Queens guys who are really athletic, they got cut, they got back up, and they were able to sack Taylor Elgersma or at the very least get pressure on him. So it seemed like whether it was Elgersma or whether it was the offensive line, they weren't always on the same page with how they were going to block certain things or uh, where the targets are with the passing game. So I'm really interested to see if they've got a better game plan in that sense and how they're going to stop specifically Shaheem Charles Brown, who is tied in the, in the OUA for the most sacks at six and a half. So the offensive line play is definitely going to factor into it along with 
Uh, Tyler Potvin, their starting guard, who went down with an injury. We'll see if he comes back for that because he's a second-year player, but he's already been a big focal point for them. So I'm really interested to see how this offensive line is going to handle the Carlton defense. Now, Dakota brought up a really great analysis as well where, you know, if you're going to be playing against a team that likes to run and you've got a solid running back in Quentin Scott, if you're sticking to a 30 front, you might have a really long day. I don't know what Carlton's going to do to try to combat that if they're going to try and go into a, you know, 40 or 50 man front and just try to make Taylor Elgersma try to beat them or if they're going to stick with that 30 front, try to get a couple of stops and just be really solid on the back end. So I'm interested to see that match up more than anything really. First of all, beautiful breakdown of it all. I I I think the I it's maybe a low hanging fruit um, that I, I keep going to and reaching for in talking about Carlton, especially when they're playing a an above average running attack, which is just that, you know, we can talk about all these aspects, but sometimes, you know, it's what's the the term, the Occam's razor, the, the explanation that takes the fewest assumptions is probably your best bet. And it's like we have one of the better rushing attacks in the OUA against one of the weaker rush defenses. And you mentioned maybe they'll adjust to that with whether it is a four-man front, which I'd, I'd be, at this point in the year to bring that out, would be a little weird. So maybe it's more pressure. And as soon as you mentioned that, the first thing that came to mind for me was the Battle of Waterloo and the image of Taylor Elgersma. And, and first of all, Carlton is much better than Waterloo. But the image of Elgersma standing in the pocket, and of course he is a massive, massive young man. I have a funny little story about Taylor Elgersma for those who don't necessarily follow me on Twitter to mention in just a moment, but standing in the pocket, knowing he's going to get hit, trusting his receivers, uh, you know, like the Ethan Jordans of the world who we've talked about all year long, just making plays for him and just throwing that ball on the spot, trusting the system that Todd Galloway has put in for them under the tutelage of Michael Falls, one of the great OUA quarterbacks in the last 20 years. And uh, that's that's kind of what comes to mind where it's like they're going to run on him. And if they start to bring pressure and slows it down, I just trust Elgers as now have ha- having had all this experience getting in his first year a bit earlier than people thought with uh, the injuries that kind of threw him into the fire. And what he's done this year as, you know, one of the one of the quarterbacks that's given us so much excitement for the future of this league um, on, on the flip side real quickly. This is the game where, once again, I've already kind of staked my claim in saying that I don't really think Toronto going to Kingston has much of a shot. We'll get into that more detailed briefly. Obviously, I'm picking Ottawa at home. This is the one game where, like I said, I could see Windsor sticking it close with Ottawa. And then I think they will. (sighs) Carlton's been this big question mark for us. But they're part of that randomness of 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 you know we always talk about put together a good full four quarters on all three facets of the game. But maybe that's part of the the the, the scariness in playing them is that you know they can hurt you on any facet of the game, but you don't really know when it's gonna come. 
Like, maybe it's going to be a pick six to the house. You know, Ottman Braun, just, you know, as he's done a few times, maybe it's going to be Kasim Ferdinand, uh, you know, getting two, three touchdowns from uh, 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 Taron Young. Maybe it's going to be uh, uh, Denny uh, Ferdinand uh, returning a punt all the way to the house. And maybe everything else is going to be just like functioning a bit below average while those things are happening. But I feel like, and I don't have the stats in front of me, and I don't know what stat to look at to pull this up but they almost seem like they have the most kind of explosive plays that'll just come out of nowhere a big fumble at, at a fortunate time to set them up or a couple big you know De to Ferdinand passes down the sideline or like I said one of the Ferdinand brothers returning a punt to the house and that sort of sudden change can be such an energy drain once again this is where that home field advantage is so big for Laurier and that's easier for you to deal with that when you have your home fans to be able to give you that recharge seemingly at a moment's notice but Carlton's just all all said and done and me and Nate kept joking that like Carlton's somehow going to go on a Yates Cup run and we'll just be like I still don't know if they're good they've certainly shown they can be very dangerous I mean we have to give the them credit they finished five and three like they are they are tied in the standings like that, that that's you know it's the and of course it's nothing to sneeze at 34 additional points for Laurier which is giving them the advantage and giving them this game at home but at the end of the day five and three records um nonetheless um and I'll, I'll I'll say my pick give you opportunity to say whatever else and then I'll get into my Taylor Elgersma story um I'm sticking with the Golden Hawks at home. Nate sold me on this team pretty early. I had to see a few more games with my eyes before I got on the 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 Laurier train uh, with Nate Hobbs. Um, you know, at the front, I'm somewhere in the caboose, perhaps, but I, I like him in this matchup. Uh, I, I just think that running game will be effective against the three four. I trust Elgersma if they start to bring some noise against them, and man, I just. We talk about the running attacks. It's just been one of my biggest. I, I I I guess I didn't bring this up in the last pod, but one of my biggest disappointments in this year. And I'm not. I I don't say it's to take a shot at the young man, because I'm ultimately just a really big fan of his. It's just the lack of production we saw from Josh Ferguson. And maybe he'll just. He clearly has the ability to, and maybe this will just be going back to that that idea of explosive performances, explosive plays. Maybe he'll just somehow have the game of his life and go for you know 180 and a couple touchdowns. I mean, that wouldn't be the game of his life because this is a guy who's rushed for over 200 yards in games before. Anyways, I'm still sticking with Laurier at home, though I think Carlton is a scary team to go up against because they can hurt you pretty much in every facet of the game. They certainly can. I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up with this Laurier team that I really didn't get a chance to see until I I actually was there watching the game was how hard this Golden Hawks defense hits. They are very much a mentality of stay back, keep everything in front of you, and punish anyone who's carrying the ball. I saw Anthony Souls multiple times get up slow from a big hit. All of those receivers, uh, credit to Nathan Falcone. He was a phenomenal receiver for Queens, but he got tattooed on a few of those plays. Uh, shout out specifically to Ifeon Yenem and Shamari Hutchinson. Those guys were all over the field making some serious plays. So this Laurier defense hits hard. And like I said, their big mindset, at least in the back end, is to back up, 
keep everything in front, give you the flats essentially because they have the athletes at cornerback, halfback, linebacker to run up and make the tackle for minimal gains. We saw a lot from the Queens run game, obviously. Anthony Souls, Yan Longa, they did great. But it's worth noting that Queens offensive line made some serious holes, but the moment that they got hit by a Laurier defender, they stopped. Very rarely were Queens players breaking tackles in that game because the tackling was so solid. So that coupled with the fact that Carlton has certainly shown flashes of greatness. There's been so many times where, you know, you watch a certain drive against a certain opponent and you're like, if that could be consistent, they could be a very dangerous team. And they easily, you know, if they were playing at the top of their game, I think they could have certainly given Ottawa a much bigger run in the Panda game than what what they did. It's just the inconsistencies that are just killing these Ravens so far. I think they've really struggled to maintain sustained drives where they're only gaining, you know, five, six yards on a certain uh, first and second down and continually going off that way. I think a lot of the times with these Ravens, they have that big play potential and Kasim Ferdinand or Josh Ferguson go off and they they find a big hole and they take off with it. Tanner DeYoung haven't, wasn't expecting this from him. I thought he was going to be an upper tier quarterback, not to say that he's not, but I just wanted to see a little bit more production out of him, at least more consistently throughout. I think they beat the teams that they should have beaten, but they didn't in those certain games, the toss-up games like the Panda Bowl or anything else, I think they underplayed pretty heavily. So for those reasons, yeah, I'm going with the Laurier Golden Hawks. I think they they get the offense rolling, the defense comes up big for them, and they uh, they get the win in Waterloo. I love your comments about their defense because it's their defense that even when this is a Laurier team that over the last couple of years was underperforming, makes them must-watch football. And Shamari Hutchison as the sort of vestige of that previous generation with the Willamoas, the Christian Hunter Coppins, and you know, <clears throat> a guy, another guy who frankly I think we did a disservice, though I know he wasn't truly in the DPOY conversation with the likes of um you know AJ Allen and Deontay Knight last year, but one of my favorite players graduating out from last year, um, in Tommy Bringy, uh Shamari Hutchison, and 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 we can play that game back uh, just to you know the scores and scores, Scott Hutter, you know, going to you know the, the true D-line U of the OUA as far as putting dudes into the CFL. Um, it's it's a every time we've done our a draft coverage, it's so much fun to dive into all those names. Um, and what's nice too is that normally they have in that fold, yeah, as you said hard hitters and Shamari embraces that but also a guy in Patrick Burke Jr. who's kind of taken on a bit of that playmaker role in that um, defensive secondary and then of course on the front side you know a guy like um, Luke Brubacher who we talked about and Brandon Omanua who are just big bodies um, sort of in the middle and on the edge so um, you know a very good Laurier team and um, man it you know we're obviously picking them to go past this round that might be where the buck stops for them. 
But this is a Laurier team that when you know, I'll have to check all the eligibility things, I believe this will be Shamari's last year. But man, this is a scare. The core of this team, I believe, is quite young and already quite proven. And the opportunity to, uh, you know, we saw them lose a home playoff game last year to Guelph, right? And so an opportunity to really be like, hey, we've actually been here before. We're young, but, you know, let's like pick our, that's the, the classic Stu Langism of like, you, you, you lose it. You, know, you lose big, you lose small, you win small, and that kind of progression. They're now in that stage of like, let's get that first playoff game with the Taylor Algersma regime and sort of era, and let's keep riding this. So it's a it's a fun team to think about where the future holds. On that young man in Taylor Algersma, uh, you know, uh, a guy who I interviewed a couple of years ago going into his first year at Laurier with a segment we did called the Freshman 15. Um, I was working with his father here in London with the London Junior Mustangs this past summer. Uh, and I currently am coaching with the uh, South Collegiate Institute uh, Lions football team, as that's where I was just doing a bit of teaching at the beginning of the school year now. Um, and by the way, uh, it's playoff season in high school football as well so as much as we want you to watch these games on Saturdays you'll be hearing this around noon on Friday um, check your local high school games because go out and watch some football because you'll be seeing the stars of tomorrow today as much as that is a another cliched statement but nonetheless um, the South Lions are uh, starting our road to a hopeful uh, offsa bowl game against Taylor Algersma uh, Taylor Algersma's former high school in the Oak Ridge Oaks. So I put a challenge out to him, a little friendly wager on Twitter in that if the South Lions prevail in the game, he has to wear a South Lions shirt under his gear for this matchup against Carlton. And if Oak Ridge prevails against us, then at the uh, pre-Vanier Cup coaching clinic hosted by Football Ontario, uh, on Friday, which in which I've been so uh, um, graciously invited to speak on a panel about uh, storytelling in football, I will sport Oak Ridge gear, Laurier Golden Hawk gear, whatever he wants. And, and Taylor was uh, a good sport in taking on the challenge. So by the time you're hearing this podcast, it's a night game. So we won't know the result just yet. But, you know, stay tuned to whatever feed you follow in for high school football updates. Uh, and I'm sure I'll be posting something on Twitter uh, following that game with uh, the results myself to kind of uh, see where we go with it. But Nonetheless, uh, this is going to be such an exciting ball game, and even more so, of course, because uh, the one and only Tom Sterling's calling the game. What more do you want on your Saturday afternoon? Um, that, of course, takes us to our final game of the week. We have the another rematch of week one where we have the uh, Toronto uh, Varsity Blues, UFT Varsity Blues, pardon me, traveling to Kingston to take on the Queen's Golden Gales. That week one matchup, um, you know, go back to that first half, um, and I don't have it in front of me just right here, right now, but of course, it was a bit of a a jaw-dropping moment for OUA fans across the league in just seeing what (laughs) this U of T offense under Kinsale Phillip, a bit of a, a sign of things to come as the year unfolded in that you know, we kind of drew that parallel between them and Waterloo, and I think you did a really apt breakdown of why that was perhaps a faulty comparison 
to make, despite the obvious things of Clay Sicare graduating out, Trey Ford going on to the CFL and all these things, and of course losing so many of their skill position guys, some great players on defense. I don't think anyone was ready for what we saw in that first half. Of course, the second half was completely different. And I believe it was Nate who brought up the fact that, you know, Joe Damore, new OC for UFT. And so if you're Ryan Beckmanis, maybe you kind of accept the fact that, hey, you know what? We might take a punch or two in the first half, but that's okay. We just need to get some data on them. We'll hit our, our, our defensive team. You know, led by Beckmanis, we'll break it down. We'll come up with our plan of attack in the second half, and we'll shut them down. And they absolutely did. Now, of course, two months later, we have a bit of a banged-up Queens team. We still don't know if if James Keenan will make a triumphant return. And we have a UFT team that has just, I think, you know, one, I should have put this on the agenda for our last podcast. I'll make sure to do so for next year for OUA Darling of the Year. And I think that has to be the UFT Blues. Nonetheless, as you and I know oh too well, this is a game that is won in the trenches. And in talking about some of these other games, when you were discussing the game you covered last week with Laurier and Queens, you talked about how formidable that Queens running attack is behind those hoggies up front. And frankly, that's just why I don't see anything but Queens taking care of business at home in this game. I mean, we did see Mac give Queens a a scare at home, and we just saw UFT take out Mac in Hamilton. And so, like, maybe we can deduce something from that. Once again, I'm going to keep it simple. This is the top-seeded team in the playoffs for this bracket against the lowest-seeded team who just snuck in. It was a great win. Love what I've seen from this UFT team. Once again, Adam Williams, I'm so happy and so proud of what he's done all year long. And some really similar with Laurier, some things to be really excited for moving forward. But much like we talked about Laurier kind of taking their lumps in the first round of the playoffs last year. I don't see anything happening, but the same for UFT here. Uh, how are you looking at this game? Of course, you'll have to be following along on Twitter and catching up after the fact. But what are your thoughts um, two days out from this matchup? Yeah, something that I, I wanted to say, and I think we, we talked about it a little bit initially when we, we watched this game, but shout out to Ryan Beckmanis. It takes a very good defensive coordinator to look at what had just happened in the first half make adjustments, and then completely shut down the opposing offense. U of T opened up the second half with a kickoff return touchdown, which was electric, amazing, but that offense did not do a single other thing in the rest of that game. There's no extra points after that second half return touchdown, and that's a credit to the coaching staff and the adjustments, exactly like you said. Ryan Beckmanis has been there for a long time. Dan Snyder's obviously turned out to be a hell of a head coach. Uh, Tom Flaxman, I had a chance to, for him to be an offensive assistant in my final year at McMaster. I know him. He's very particular. He really likes the Western-esque running style where you've got pulling guards, pulling tackles, guys at the point of attack while you're running the ball. And that leads to, like we saw in that Laurier game, a lot of times running backs getting out scot-free without getting touched until they get to the second level after eight, nine, 10 yard plus gains. So this Queens offense looks really impressive. The other thing that I wanted to say while we were at the game last week, Laurier and Queens, obviously the, the number one question is 
How's James Keenan doing? How's this? How's that? Dan Snyder. Sorry, sorry. Was second, very... I'm sorry. T- second time you said Dan Snyder, Steve Snyder. Is it Steve Snyder? My, my apologies. <laughs> sorry. I don't know what Dan Snyder is coming from. Steve Snyder uh, has was very adamant about not saying a single word about James Keenan. Very adamant about, you know, James Keenan's injured. He's not playing today. That's the end of the story. There was some rumblings. Ooh, rumble away. That James James Keenan was healthy enough to play against the Laurier gate, the Laurier team, but because no matter what happened, both teams were going to have a home playoff game, they decided to rest him once again because they didn't have the option to gain a bye week. We could see the return of James Keenan against Toronto at home for the playoffs which would be massive for the Queens hopefuls trying to get back to the Yates cup and hopefully play against the Western Mustangs in a rematch. I don't know for sure. These are just rumblings, but it would make a lot of sense in that scenario to rest your starting quarterback, get him back to as close to hundred percent as possible and have him come back against a Toronto team and just go off once again. Now, that's incredibly exciting, and a league that has James Keenan healthy and back at starting quarterback is a better league entirely. The OUA is better to have its star players in it. Um, And I want to flip that on the other side of things because obviously we know how good this Queens team is. Toronto 100% has been the darlings of the OUA. Even though they knocked out my McMaster Marauders last week, and I was very heartbroken about that, I am still so happy for this U of T team. They had killer clay. They had the success that they had in the previous years, and they did not fall off. You know, obviously they didn't finish with the best record, but it was good enough to get into the playoffs. And a U of T team that's consistent and staying in the mix and having Toronto football slowly but surely come back in once again, another fantastic thing for the OUA. Kinsale Phillip has a very bright future ahead of him. I think the sky is the ceiling for this kid. We'll see how well he can kind of develop under Joe Damore and how things will move forward. I think the biggest thing is if I'm Joe Damore, trying to figure out ways to take pressure off of him, trying to do certain things. If the running game, the conventional running game doesn't work. Hey, let's try out some swing passes. Let's try out some wide receiver, um, uh, bubble screens. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Bubble screens, sweeps, whatever the case may be, try to get it in your playmaker's hands and take the pressure off of Kinsale Phillip. He obviously has the ability to take off and run and make some big plays for sure. But the Queens defensive line that I saw play against Laurier is very dangerous. And when you can rush the quarterback with just your four down linemen and leave everybody, all eight defenders in the backfield, that uh, makes offensives offense's lives miserable oh you said so many good things in there um first of all if james keenan is coming out in this game i hope they do like like a hannibal lecter style like wheel him out on the cart have like the mask or do like an undertaker style like reveal just cut all the lights in richardson stadium of course since it's a one o'clock game like all the others it won't matter a lick but just you know have like a riser underneath richardson field just elevate him and just there you see him hands out to the sides just there he appears keenan um 
you know, on the U of T side of things, um, just more on ter- in terms of both to your point about maybe a, a more unconventional style of, of offensive attack um, and also tying in with the youth of this team, um, at least on the offensive side, because I was quickly scrolling through the roster. And as I suspected, just knowing some of the names still there, their defense and particularly the defense secondary are some guys that are, are getting a little bit on the, the older side. But, you know, they've clearly done a good job of recruiting in the last few years, and, and I have confidence they'll continue on that. Um, but you mentioned the, the, the kick return touchdown that started the second half for U of T in Queens in the first week. And now, of course, it was, it was Lucas Stoikos, who's had, you know, we saw him last year um, as a really effective return man for them. And he's proven himself this year um, as a great runner as well. Um, and so clearly he has the skills. I think it was in the, it escaped me off the top of my head. Adam Williams did the the damage against Carlton, but there was another game where uh, uh, where Williams was out, and that Stoikos just in the backfield was there, uh, the, was getting the bulk of the carries and had a really good productive day of uh, running the ball for them. I'm thinking it might have been a, probably against York then I'm guessing, but nonetheless. Um, so what we obviously know that Stoikos when he gets the ball in his hand. Um, as a returner, is super dangerous. So you mentioned these ideas of little swing passes, bubble screens, all these things. The game plan for them offensively is, you know, hey, uh, you know, let Kinsell Phillip do his thing to the best of his ability. No doubt Queens is going to do what they can to shut him down. And at that point, just have this kind of fire and ice of you, if you will, of Williams being your runner within the the tackle box, and then Stoikos as this weapon where give him five yards of space between him and the next defender and let him make some magic happen. Um, and just tying it all in with that piece of on youth for UFT. I, just looking through the uh, roster as you were talking there, I believe he's only in his second year, which is so, so exciting uh, for Blues fans to think about this uh, Phillip and Stoikos uh, combination Um for the next two, possibly three years or more to come as well. Um, nonetheless, though, I mean, Queens is is so good in the box, but they're they are a fast defense as well, and not too dissimilar, I think, from from Laurier in the way that like they don't let much get by them if it gets past the first line of defense. But then, of course. You know, we talk about some of the playmakers, a guy like Patrick Burke Jr. for Laurier. And of course, Jamari Hutchison still has some of that going for him as well. I mean, when we look at Queens, you know, on the front on the front side of things, a guy like Silas Hubert, Van Wishart having incredible years getting after the quarterback. But then Miller, Melanson, Melancon, Melon something or other. I apologize to that his family. I, I keep butchering it. I, I, you know, I guess maybe I'll have to tune in a little bit to this game just to get the pronunciation going from the, the Queen's own uh, commentators. And, you know, Ethan Martin, who missed a ton of time for them this year, but we saw him get back into action against Laurier. And if that is indicative of him getting healthier and healthier, is scary for not just the UFT Blues, but for every other team in the OUA playoff hunt and no one should be more scared and know what Ethan can do than his hometown Western Mustangs um so you know this is just a a Queens team that's just in such tip-top shape they were banged up through the year they seem to be getting healthy at the right time and um it's for 
I already said this from my preamble to start with. It's Queens at home. I don't see it going any other way. Tom, what about you? Yeah, has to be Queens at home. Even if James Keenan and that rumor is nothing, uh, there's no value to it. Alex Vreekin has really shown that he can be a, a top quarterback. He's obviously struggled a little bit against that McMaster team, but I think even though those Marauders are two and six, and maybe I do have a little bit of bias, I think that defense was still very stout for the Marauders. And I want that to be more of a credit to them rather than, you know, Alex Vreekin maybe not performing as well as he could have. I think he is a uh, a very great young talent. And even if he is starting instead of James Keenan, they rely on that offensive line. Anthony Souls and Yan Longa, and uh, they they pick up the W against these U of T Blues. And Jared Kasari, and maybe we'll see the return of Jared Blackman, and then whichever quarterback it is, whether it's Vreekin or whether it's Keenan. Well, though, if it is Keenan, maybe they will tell him, you know what, son? stay in the pocket a little bit more um because <laughs> that's honestly something that like going back to la- last year and the year prior that like had me pulling out whatever hair i had remaining which was like my goodness this guy is a slippery fish to tackle but he doesn't know how to slide and i'm not trying to blame him for how he ended up getting hurt because he got hurt on a bit of a freakish play so to speak where it wasn't really a direct contact but that it was a constant, just anxiety-provoking moment watching James Keenan through his years of being like slide, slide. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, last thing I'll mention is uh, in, in the week that uh, Nate had filled in for you. It was when we had UFT getting ready to host Western, and he made the point of. Hey, you know what? And that game, obviously, I'll, I feel like had a little less going for it than this one, perhaps. Um, but he made the point of that game in specific. We obviously saw this matchup earlier this year. But just the the pageantry and the imagery of Western and the UFT Blues on the field at the same time. Let's not forget that this is one of the oldest matchups in football. Football. Like, I'm not OUA, Canada, nothing. This is one of the oldest matchups in football. Um, I'll try and bring up these stats specifically on that, some of the numbers when me and Nate recap it all. But this is the beautiful thing of this league and with the CFL as well. This game goes back a long time. Um, Man, oh, man. uh, I'm super stoked for this weekend, Tom, uh, to state the obvious. Um. Can't wait to hear you in the booth again um, and see how these outcomes uh, turn out. And, you know, it's at this point in the season where, like I said, save for one of these games, you know, we can kind of see the upset brewing. Uh, it's 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 showtime. The, the lights are on and it is there is no tomorrow promised for any of these teams. We can't play the well, you know, maybe this, maybe that if it doesn't go to plan. If it doesn't go to plan, we see you in the year 2023. Tom, any last words before you get set to call Carlton Laurier and I get set to, you know what, watch three games at once. That's nothing. That is nothing. That's a picnic for me. I've been spent all year going cross-eyed watching five games simultaneously. At some point, maybe I'll tweet out some screen grabs I've taken of like my my TV and laptop set trying to watch all the games. But three games is a picnic. Tom, you're getting the best seat in the house for one of the most exciting matchups of these three. Last words before we dive into quarterfinal action in the OUA. Yeah, this is my favorite 
part of the year. Obviously, there's a little bit of sadness because the, the regular season is done and certain teams are out or whatever, but OUA playoff action is the best time of the year. These three weeks are some of the most exciting football that you'll watch, period. Uh, also, you talked about the oldness and the, the historicness of U of T Queens. Shout out to the Yates Cup, the oldest trophy in all of North America, including the States. All of their football trophies, you know, the Super Bowl that's only recently come up. We're, what, 119 this year for the Yates Cup? So 119 years of that beautiful trophy. You and I have both gotten a chance to hoist it. Uh, when you don't have adrenaline, it's made of thick oak. It is heavy as all hell, and they keep adding more and more layers to it. But hoisting that thing after you won it, there is no sweeter feeling. I wish luck to all of these teams here. I'm going to be watching like a kid on Christmas because I am so damn excited to watch some OUA football action here. And uh, yeah, this is this is the best time of the year for me. No sweeter feeling than hoisting that trophy and no sweeter taste than drinking out of it, which I know darn well, Tom, you partook in as I did as well. So Oh, you're, oh right. you're darn right. Absolutely. I hope you enjoy this slate of quarterfinal actions. If you're going to any of the games live, tag us in any photos that you tweet out or post on Instagram. If you're at the Laurier Queens, pardon me, the Laurier Carlton game, go say what's up to Tom. Once again, happy 79th birthday to my old man. Me and Nate will be back on the pod come Monday talking about all these matchups and what the semifinal shall hold. And we will talk to you then at the 55.